to lift our voices to Jesus. To those of you who are joining us online, whether you're joining us from Facebook, on YouTube, on newlife.nyc, or whether you're listening to this sermon on our podcast, uh, it is great to have you with us. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. If we've never met before, please approach me. I'd love to meet you and shake your hand and get your name before you head out of this building. So please uh, say hello before you head out. Before I get into our text today, uh, next Sunday we're going to have a, a men's lunch gathering at the end of the second service. So at 1.30 to 3, uh, there'll be an opportunity for some of the New Life brothers to get together and I'll be facilitating that time. Maybe you've been looking for some connection, you've been coming to our church, but you haven't met anyone yet. This is a great opportunity to eat uh, to connect, and uh, we'll, we'll have to find a way because the Jets might be playing at that time, and so we'll have to find a way to get some football on a screen, amen, uh, to do that. Uh, but we'd love to have you there. You can register online or just show up. We'd love to have you there. It's going to be an hour and a half of just connection and food and fun and all the rest. Uh, so please uh, make sure you join us for that time. We have been on a series focusing on the book of Revelation, seven uh, words that Jesus offers to seven churches that have a lot uh, to do with our lives and a lot to do with our church as a whole. And next week is our final, it's amazing how we've gotten to week seven next week. Today we're focusing on uh, what Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, the, the, the Philadelphia uh, down in uh, the Middle East. And so what does Jesus have to say to that church? Last week we focused on the words that Jesus said uh, to Sardis, a very direct word. And I think Pastor Helen delivered that word directly the same way Jesus gave it to the church of Sardis. She offered that to us. And I want to offer in the same spirit that Jesus offers words to the church in Philadelphia, I want to offer those same words. And it's interesting that this is the second of the seven churches that Jesus has no word of criticism for. It's only two churches where Jesus has words of consolation and commendation. And so I want to pay attention to this church's life and what Jesus has to say because I want it to be said about my life and don't you want it to be said about your life that when Jesus looks at you, he has words of commendation and words of consolation. And so I think we can learn some things here uh, in the book of Revelation chapter 3 beginning at verse number 7. You can follow on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... These are the words of him who was holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I feel the Holy Spirit already. Just with right, that right there. We could say amen, amen and stop the sermon right there. I'll continue. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, those who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test 
the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a lot here, and I think we're going to walk out here encouraged and strengthened by the preaching of God's word this morning. So let's pray together. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have for us this day. And may this truth wash over us. May we leave different than the way we came in. May we be filled with your life and filled with your joy and filled with your power. And so, Holy Spirit, come. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive all you have for us this day. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. This past week, I read an article with the title, Americans are more tired than ever before. And when I look at the world that we are in, it seems like that title is a universal phenomenon. That at some point in the last couple of years, and even before that, and in the days and the weeks and the months to come, we will feel tired, fatigued, lacking strength. When I think of the rapidly changing world that we are in, there's lots of parents that are feeling weak and without strength. When I think about some of you who work multiple jobs to make ends meet and you have no time for relaxation, you came into church today tired, fatigued, and without strength. There's some of us in this room and watching online that have battled relational conflicts and with, with people who we love, friends that we love, and we are in conflict, and it's just the drama of relationship and the drama of conflict that has sapped out life from you, and you came into church today fatigued, tired, lacking strength. There's some of you who are experiencing disappointment with God, that you've prayed your prayers and you've read the Bible, and yet for all the prayers that you've prayed and all the Bible passages that you have quoted, it doesn't seem as if God has responded to your prayers and you walk into this church today tired, fatigued, lacking strength. I think of some of you students in this room here, just the fatigue of trying to fit in, the fatigue of trying to connect with friends, the fatigue of being a teenager in a society like ours. You came into church today tired, fatigued, lacking strength. And if any of this describes your life, Jesus has words for you. Jesus has great news for people who have little strength. And this is a good word for us because at some point in our spiritual journey, we will all feel tired. 
We will all feel the lack of strength. As a pastor, there are two requests that I get more than any other request. When someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, can you pray for me? There's usually two prayer requests that I usually get. Can you pray that I would have clarity? And can you pray that I would have strength? Those are the two top pastoral prayer requests. Clarity and strength. And then when I say, what do you need clarity about? It's usually, oh, God will tell you, Pastor. God will tell you. I was like, no, God doesn't tell me everything here. And so help me out here so I can pray with greater specificity. Amen. And so we come into church. Can I pray for clarity or pray for strength? Because many of us feel tired, fatigued, lacking strength. And if you're feeling that today, there's good news for you. That Jesus is here, and Jesus wants to speak life into you. This is what Jesus is saying to the church at Philadelphia. He knows that they are a church that has little strength, and he offers words of encouragement to them. Now, as we've been in this series, we focus that the book of Revelation can be understood in a few ways. That to make the most out of it, we cannot read the book of Revelation superstitiously. And we shouldn't read the book of Revelation trying to understand everything going on in the world and, and, and what's 666 and, and who's the Antichrist and when is Jesus coming. Uh, you can spend a lot of time on that and miss really what Jesus is trying to get at throughout the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation can be summarized in three words. Its literature is prophetic, which is to say that it lets us know what the future holds, but not just what the future holds, who holds the future. Amen. Jesus Christ holds the future. He says in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 17, I am before all things, and in me all things hold together. Amen. Jesus Christ holds our future. The book of Revelation is prophetic. Secondly, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic, which is to say that it reveals what has previously been hidden. That's what apocalypse means. When you go to a Broadway show and the curtains go up and you see what's happening on the stage, that's an apocalypse. It's an apocalypse. You are revealing, it's revealing what was hidden before. And in the book of Revelation, what we find over and over again is the revelation of the presence of Jesus in a world that's filled with violence. The revelation of the person of Jesus in a world that's filled with distress. Uh, the revelation of, of, of the presence of Jesus in a world that's marked by anxiety. We come to church to be reminded that God is present in our lives. It's an apocalypse. Thirdly, the book of Revelation is resistance. Resistance literature. That when we read it and when the church read it at first, they would resist the powers of sin and resist the powers of the evil one and resist the powers of Satan and the power of the empire and offer their loyalty to Jesus Christ, which is what we are invited to, to offer our loyalty to Jesus and Jesus alone. Not offering our loyalty and our utmost allegiance to a country, but offering our loyalty to Jesus Christ. Not offering our utmost loyalty to a flag, but offering our loyalty to Jesus Christ. Say amen, somebody. Offering our allegiance not to a political party, but offering our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to offer our allegiance and resist the ways of idolatry. Resist the ways of conformity. 
Resist the ways of the world. And so Jesus here is about to introduce himself as he does in every letter, letting the church know who they are in relationship with. And in this case, Jesus begins his introduction by saying these words. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Amen. Jesus is speaking strength into a church that has little strength. And to encourage them, he reminds them about who they are in relationship with. And let me remind you, if you find yourself in a place in life in which you are struggling, if you find yourself stuck, if you find yourself disoriented, if you find yourself suffering, if you find yourself doubting, one of the greatest things we can do is fix our eyes on Jesus. That's one of the best things you can do, to fix your eyes on Jesus, to remind yourself who you are in relationship to. And so Jesus says three things here. He says, I am the holy one, I am the true one, I am the one who holds the key of David. He's holy. He's holy. He's separate. There's, there's no one like him. There's no one like Jesus. You can't compare another God to him. There's no other God like him. Every other God bows at his feet. He is the holy one. He's the separate one. He's the majestic one. He, he's holy, and we can trust in his holiness. He says, I am the true one, which is to say I am trustworthy, that we can trust in the words of Jesus, that if he said it, we can trust it. If he said it, we can believe it. He says, I'm the true one. You can trust me. And I want to remind you today, some of you are wondering, can I trust Jesus? We gather as the people of God to be reminded he is the true one and his words can be trusted. But I want to spend a little bit of time on that third one. He's the one who holds the key of David, the key of David. That phrase, the key of David comes from the book of Isaiah chapter 22. And let me tell you what's happening in Isaiah chapter 22. There's a guy named Hezekiah who's the king, and he has a man who's the steward of the palace, a guy by the name of Shebna. And Shebna is in charge of the palace. Shebna is in charge of who comes in and who comes out. Well, this guy Shebna was caught in a personal scam trying to get money for himself. And God, the Bible actually says he like twirls him like a frisbee and, and, and casts him to another land. And in his place, he raises up someone else who's going to be a faithful steward, someone who is going to stand at the doors faithfully. And the guy was the name, his name was Eliakim. And so it says, in that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah, verse 22, and I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Hear what Jesus is saying. What was true of Eliakim is true with me, but to a much greater degree. 
Jesus says, I am the one, the true one, the holy one who holds the key to the house of David. Now, what's the significance? I want to offer a few things so that we can understand. What does it mean that Jesus says, I hold the key? Number one, when Jesus says he holds the key, it means that in Christ Jesus, we have access to the presence of God. Let me, let, me, let me do that over here. In Christ Jesus, we have access to the presence of God. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. There's nothing greater than having access to the presence of God. Because of Jesus Christ, you can boldly come to the throne of God and receive grace and help in time of trouble. And so we have access, number one, to the presence of God. Number two, what does it mean that Jesus has the key? It means that whatever God has determined cannot be defeated. Whatever God has determined cannot be defeated. He says, whatever door I open cannot be shut. Whatever door God opens your enemies can't shut. Whatever door God opens, those who don't like you can't shut. Listen, whatever God opens, you can't even shut. Some of you have tried to shut doors and say, God, I'm not walking through that one. And God says, not even you can shut what I have opened. What does it mean that he has the key to the house of David? It means that in Christ Jesus, there are boundless opportunities before you. That there are grand openings before you. That if you give your life to Jesus Christ, there are adventures and possibilities right before you that will blow your very mind. But it also means that because Christ has the key to the house of David, that it is Jesus who decides who gets in and who stays out. Now, we live in a world, especially the church, where we love to pronounce who's in and who's out. We stand at the door with our keys, believing that we are the ones who determines who's in and who's out. It's often the church who thinks we determine who's righteous and who's not righteous, who's saved, who's not saved. But we are reminded that it is Christ Jesus who makes the decision of who's in and who's out. Now, this is good news for this church in Philadelphia because they were not regarded highly in their society. They would not have access to the palace of great power in Rome. They would not have access to the places of royalty. They would not be invited to the imperial Christmas parties. They had no social standing. They had no power in their society. And Jesus reminds them that even though you cannot get in the palace at Rome, you have access to my kingdom. You have access to my presence. 
And let me encourage you today. You might be in a position right now where you don't have access to the movers and shakers of society. You might not have access to people who are very influential and powerful. You might not have access to the places of notoriety, but you have access to the very presence of God, the very treasure house of God. And one of the saddest realities in Christianity is we do not know the access that we have. We live our entire lives not knowing that we have access. We live our entire lives not walking through doors that God has opened. We live our entire lives missing out on what God has for us. The saddest state of Christianity are, is when Christians don't know what we have access to. It reminds me, just a few years ago, uh, on my birthday, Rosie got me uh, a birthday a gift. It was uh, a ticket, two tickets to watch the Mets play. Amen. Two tickets to watch the Mets game. And, and, and it, was, it looks like it's, called, it's, it's just April, and so April 17th, if you want, if you want to mark your calendar. Uh, and, and, and she took me to a game. Now, whenever I used to go to Mets games, I used to sit way up high. And so we get our ticket. She said, I'm taking to the game. And so my, 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 my instinct is to go up. Okay, here we go. We're going to go up. And so I'm going the direction. Rosie says, no, we're not going up. We're going down. I say, amen. We're, go we're going down. <laughs> we're going down. Amen. And, and, and so we start walking down. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a great place right here. She goes, no, keep going. I was like, oh, we keep going. We keep going. And, and, and keep going. Keep going. Okay, keep going. And, and, and we're still going. We're still going. You sure? No, we're good. We're good. And so she gets us tickets right, you know, in the second row right behind the Mets dugout. Just phenomenal. Just what a blessing. They're, they're, what a wife. What a wife. And so, so close. I was so close that at the end of one of the innings, one of the Mets players had a ball and, and, and just tossed it to me. And boom, I caught it just like that. I, caught it. I think he was going for the lady behind me. But I snatched it real quick. I just snatched it. Not today. Uh, I claimed it in the name of Jesus. And so, and so I had it right here. Had it in my hand. Just absolutely wonderful. And at one point in, in the game, you know, it, it, I had to use the bathroom. And, and so by the end of the third or fourth inning, I said, I have to go to the bathroom. And so I, I usually go up to where everybody goes to the restroom. But then as I'm walking up, I noticed that there was an entryway uh, that, that had restroom there. But, but I said, maybe I can go there and not where everyone else goes. And so I, I go to the side and I show the guy my ticket. I go, can I go into this bathroom? And he says, let me see your ticket. And I go, here you go. He goes, yeah, go ahead. And so I walk in, and I walk into this area in the stadium that I never knew existed. There's just, there's just another world in this stadium. And I walk in, just, you know, leather couches and, 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 and hot chocolate, and it's, and it's warm in there. And, and they got good food, different food, just nice food in here. And so, and so I go to the bathroom, I, I come out, and I go, Rosie, honey, I, I think that we have access to that suite right there. 
And she says, no, we don't have access to this. No, no, I, I think we have. Come with me. Let's go in there. And she says, no, 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 we're going to get in trouble. Uh, don't embarrass me. Uh, you know, uh, let's just stay right here. And I go, no, 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 let's go inside. And so we're waiting there. We're all cold. And, and we're waiting. And an usher comes down. And I said, I, I, I got to find this out. And so I go, sir, uh, could you tell me if I, have, if I have access to that suite right there? And he goes, let me see your ticket. And he sees my ticket. And he goes, well, not only do you have access to that suite, but you have access to that one, and that one, and that one, and, and that one over there, and, and that one over there. And, and so I get back the ticket, and I go, what? And I go, he goes, yeah, you, you have access to it all. Listen, I was sitting there not knowing that I had access to the entire palace, amen, of City Field. And so... We just got up and left. The Mets were losing. So we just got up and left and, and sat in the suite. If we, listen, if they're losing, I'm going to watch it in the warmth. Amen? I'm not going to be cold and suffering as a fan. We're going to watch this with some hot cocoa in my hands. And so I realized on that day that this is an illustration for lots of Christians. That we have been in a certain spot not knowing that you have access in Christ Jesus so many resources available. In Christ Jesus, power available. In Christ Jesus, provision available. In Christ Jesus, healing available. In Christ Jesus, salvation available. Do you know what you have access to? You have access to it all. Jesus says we are seated with him in heavenly places. And before you are the very resources of God. And so Jesus lets them know, I am the holy one. I'm the true one. I am the one who holds the key to the house of David. And now he begins to let them know, I know what's going on in your life. Verse 8, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I love this. He says, you have little strength. What's attractive to Jesus is that these people have little strength. He's just drawn to people who have little strength. Jesus cannot help but move towards people who have little strength. And I wonder if you need to hear those words for your life today. So many of us live with the burden of trying to be strong all the time. So many of us live with the burden of trying to be a solid rock for everyone all the time. Some of you came into church today and not for one moment have you given yourself the freedom to be weak. The freedom to confess that you don't have it all together. The freedom to confess that you need some help. You live with the burden of trying to hold everything together. Some of you come from families of so much dysfunction that you realize if I don't hold things together, this whole thing is going to fall apart. And you've had to live your entire life not confessing weakness. And that might work in the world. You might not confess your weakness on the job, but in the body of Christ, what makes the body of Christ the body of Christ, 
What makes the body of Christ uh, uh, receive the, the power that we need is first confessing our weakness. Jesus says, I know that you have little strength. And sometimes we have to get to a point where we say, I am weak. I'm tired. I cannot go on like this. And so Jesus says, I know you have little strength, but you've kept my word. And I love that. Jesus commands those who have little strength, but they have kept his word. There's something truly inspiring about seeing people with very little resources, seeing people at the end of their rope, seeing people who are just experiencing pain after pain, and they're still holding on to Jesus. I remember a few years ago, I was standing right over here. It was our Ash Wednesday service. And as I'm putting the ashes on people's foreheads and offering these words, remember you are from dust and to dust you shall return. I see one of our congregants waiting in the line and he approaches me and I know his story. I know that at this time he was battling cancer. And I know that at this time he was very weak and very frail and he came up to me and I almost felt a bit uh, like it was wrong for me to say those words in his frailty. Remember you are from dust and to dust you shall return. And he kind of felt it in my voice as I was offering these words, and his response very simply was, don't worry, Pastor, I trust in Jesus. And I walked out remembering that story and thinking to myself, that's the kind of faith I want. The kind of faith that says, I trust in Jesus. The kind of faith that when your bank account is empty, you go, I trust in Jesus. The kind of faith that when you get a bad report from the doctor, I trust in Jesus. The, 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 the kind of faith that when doors are not opening, you say, I trust in Jesus. Jesus says, you, you have held on to me. And then he, in verse 9, he mentions something that I just want to offer a brief word about because it's in this text and because I think there's some point of good reflection here. Verse 9, he says... I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Let me offer a brief word before I go into what the three things Jesus says at the end. This is one of the themes in the book of Revelation where Jesus says here that in the first century, Jewish people were persecuting other Jewish people who had put their faith in Jesus. And Jesus says essentially this, that those who think that faithfulness to God is found in persecuting or excluding others will be surprised that they are actually farther from God than the ones they're persecuting. This is worthy of two hours of reflection. Jesus says, there are people who are persecuting Christians and they think they're being faithful to God in the process. Jesus says, there's gonna come a day, I know you're suffering right now, that the world will know how much I loved you. That I will vindicate you in their very presence. Now that's encouraging, but it's also a word of warning for all of us. Because... If you build an identity on what you are against, 
and who you are against. Don't be surprised if you find yourself working against God. There are entire Christians who build an identity on what they are against. Other faiths. Other people who have different political values. People with different sexual orientations. And an identity is built on what they are against. And Jesus says, one day, you're going to be very surprised that the people you despised, I loved. And so, on one end of the spectrum, we have to be mindful that Jesus vindicates those who the world tends to overlook and exclude, which should call us to be humble in the way we live in this world. And so Jesus mentions that, which is a good word of reflection for us, and then he closes out his words to this church with a number of invitations. I want to highlight three of them, three of them, three of them, that I hope you would reflect on this week. As you think about the little strength that you might have, as you think about seasons of weakness, there are three words Jesus says out of verse 11 and 12. He says, as he closes, he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Three things Jesus says. I'd encourage you to write this down and meditate, it this, meditate on it this week. Number one, he says, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. If I can confess something, this is perhaps the most frustrating of the promises that Jesus offers in the Bible. Anybody with me here? I am coming soon. Now, I've had to remember as I read the Bible that God's timing is often different from my timing. Second Peter says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So if you ask God, Lord, how long is this going to take? He says, about a day. We're in trouble. We're, we're, we're in trouble. <laughs> God's timing is different. The way we understand time is often very different from how God understands time. And we see this on a regular basis in our lives as well. You do this with your own life. When, when someone says, how far are you? Say, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. I'll be right there means I'm about to jump into the shower. How long is it going to take? And I'll be there in five minutes. That means I just got in the car. I'm two blocks away. I'm in a different neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? And so the way that Jesus sees time is different from the way that we understand time. But what Jesus is getting at more than anything is not necessarily timetable. He's trying to encourage these believers to have hope. To have hope. That he's not going to abandon you. That he's not going to leave us. That he's going to finish what he has started. I am coming soon. Now I want to encourage you some more because there's a theologian, one of the church fathers said that whenever we think about the coming of Jesus, we have to think about it in three ways. Three ways, three ways. Don't forget this. He said the first way when we think about the coming of Jesus is we celebrate in Christmas that God has come. Amen, in the person of Jesus, the first coming. We celebrate that he's coming again. And so on one hand, we, we celebrate. 
On the other hand, we anticipate. Are you with me? But in the middle between celebration and anticipation, we often forget his visitation. Which is to say, sometimes I just wrap these things and and the Spirit just helps me here. God has a way of surprising us when we least expect it. To say that the Holy Spirit has been sent means that at any moment, Jesus can come in your circumstance. At any given moment, God can provide. At any given moment, God can come and restore. At any given moment, God can come and heal. This is when we gather to stir our faith, to be reminded that the God who came and the God who will come is the God who comes. I am coming soon. You know what that might mean for some of you? Tuesday. That he's going to show up in your life on Tuesday in a way that's going to blow your mind. For some of you, it means January. I'm coming soon. What's that mean? That in January, a breakthrough is going to happen in ways that are just going to blow your mind. The reason we gather in worship and we celebrate the resurrection is because Jesus Christ, right this very moment, is active. I am coming soon. Number two, he says, hold on. Hold on to what you have. Now, this is a church that's weak. They have nothing. What are they supposed to hold on to? Two things. Jesus and the body of Christ. Hold on. He's essentially saying, if you're weak, the only thing you can really hold on to is me and the body of Christ around you. This is why we pray. This is why we open scripture. This is is why we sing together. We're holding on to Jesus. This is why we gather as the people of God. To be reminded that if you are experiencing weakness right now, you need help. You can't do it yourself. I'm so glad when we worship together. You know why? Because there have been times where I've come into church. I've been here almost 16 years. And there have been Sundays when I come in here, and I'm just so tired, I can't even sing. I can't even lift my voice. But I hear the praises of the people of God. And I'm sustained by the praises of the people of God. There are times when, when, I, when I need the people of God to carry me. It reminds me of the story. You know the story of the paralyzed man he, who can't get to Jesus, but he has four friends? Who says, I know you can't get to Jesus, but we're going to carry you to Jesus. And they carry the man to Jesus, and he experiences healing. That just reminds us, if you're feeling weak right now, you cannot do it yourself. You need help. You need people around you. And one of the invitations of our church over and over again is to connect. We have an Advent series coming up. I pray that you find yourself connected with other brothers and sisters at New Life. Because you cannot do it alone. Jesus says, hold on. Then he says, thirdly, hear this promise. I will make you a pillar. I will make you a pillar. I'll make you into a pillar. What I love about this is this truth. 
In the Church of Philadelphia, that region was known for having lots of earthquakes. That region was known for having lots of aftershocks. The people lived in a state of perpetual instability. Have you ever been there before? That you don't know what's going to shake up around you. You live in fear that something at a moment's notice is going to shift in your life. You live in the fear of just earthquakes, and our society has experienced big earthquakes in the last few years. But hear what Jesus says. In an environment that's marked by instability, I will make you into a pillar. You probably came into church today feeling like a pebble. And Jesus looks at you and says, no, no, no. I see a pillar. I see strength. You're going to be a pillar for others. I came in here to prophesy over you today. Some of you came into church with weakness, thinking I have nothing to offer, thinking what can I give? Let me prophesy over you. Jesus says, you are a pillar. You're anointed. You're gifted. You have strength. You have so much to offer. I don't care what they said about you on the job. I don't care what your family has said about you. You are anointed. You are a pillar. You are a firm foundation. Receive these prophetic words from our Lord Jesus Christ over your life today. God says, I'm, going, I'm here to raise you up. That in a world that's marked by instability, God has sent you to your job to be a pillar. God has sent you into your neighborhood to be a pillar. God has sent you on social media, amen, to be a pillar. And he says these words to a church that on the surface looks utterly weak. And we are reminded that the ways of God are not like our ways. For his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. I love what Jesus does here and reminds me of the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a beautiful exchange that takes place. That we give God what we have, and he gives us what he has. This is the beauty of the gospel. That if you give God your weakness, he gives you his strength. That if you give God your failures, he gives you his forgiveness. That if you give God your anxiety, God gives you his peace. That if you give God your shame, God gives you his righteousness. And so listen, if you're feeling weak today, don't go to the drugs. If you're feeling weak today, leave the alcohol alone. If you're feeling weak today, don't mindlessly distract yourself waiting for the problem to go away. If you're feeling weak today, you don't have to put up a front like everything is all right. If you're feeling weak today, you can call upon the name of the Lord. If you're feeling weak today, you can wait on the name of the Lord. Why? Isaiah said it this way. Because they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk 
and not faint. Hear the promise. Give God your weakness. And God says, I'll give you everything that I have. Hear the word. Hear the word. God says, I am the holy one, the true one, the one who holds the key to the house of David. And we walk out of this gathering today knowing in truth that God is here, that God is present, that God can make you into a pillar. And God very simply says, it begins by confessing that you're weak. This is the paradox of the gospel, that in order to experience strength, you first must confess weakness. And as you confess weakness, God pours out his strength. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Some of you came into church today and you are feeling fatigued, weak without strength. And maybe some of you came into church today and you're feeling pretty strong, but life has a way of surprising us where one moment we feel strong and the next moment we feel weak. So whether this word applies to you right this very moment, or whether this word applies to you in a week. May the words of our Lord Jesus Christ sustain you. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. I will make you into a pillar. You might have come into church today feeling like a little rock, a pebble nothing to offer no no Jesus says you have so much to offer my hand is on your life I'm active in your life I will make you into a pillar and so Lord we sing to you we fix our eyes on the beauty of Jesus we fix our eyes on his power fix our eyes on his majesty and Lord, as we fix our eyes on you, would you strengthen us? Would you fortify us? Would you root us deeply in you? Build us up today, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, let's all stand, let's sing together. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Sing, you didn't want heaven. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. 
letting the church know fix your eyes on me I, I know life is not unfolding the way you want it to unfold I know you're experiencing difficulty I know you don't have the strength that you need but fix your eyes on me contemplate my beauty meditate on my holiness admire my beauty and as we do so the Holy Spirit begins to infuse into us strength and life there's certain things that you said this is just dead God can't do anything with this and then we are reminded death can't hold Jesus some of you have given up on promises that God has given to you and you say no that's not gonna but death can't hold Jesus and I wonder if we could sing with all of our might there's certain things that you said God you can't do anything about this and God says give me another try death can't hold me 
What's in your life right now that you said cannot be brought back to life? What are the promises? What are the dreams? What are the hopes that you have? And can you just begin to sing out before the Lord and remind yourself you are in relationship with King of Kings and Lord of Lords and death cannot hold him down. And so with everything we have, let's just sing that out and sing it out together. Death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, yes. you silenced the bones of sin and grave. The heavens are rolling, the praise of your glory, for you are
can't help but look at the book of Revelation and look at Jesus in his beauty and his glory. And I just can't help but to praise his name. And I got to tell you something. I've heard roars. The Mets were in the playoffs. They lost. I heard roars. Yankees in the playoffs. Roars from the crowd. And, you know, incredible roars. And I'm thinking, these people don't have the key. When I think about Jesus and all he's done for me, when I think about him having the key that no one can shut, my soul just wants to say hallelujah. And I wonder today if we can lift our voices before the Lord. Some of you right now, you're wondering, how in the world am I going to get through this? You know what? Sometimes you have to praise your way through the storm. You have to sing your way through your troubles. You have to worship your way through your trials. I wonder if we can lift our voices before the Lord today. Let's have our prayer team come forward. And let's just, Kate, let's just do that one more time here. And, and even as our prayer team is here, and if you need prayer, you can come forward. I'll dismiss us in a moment. I'll bless you. Let's sing that bridge one more time. And, and let's just lift our voices before Jesus. He's the Holy One the true one. Let's sing that out together. Death cannot hold you. Death cannot hold you. The veil tore before you. You silence the boast of sin and grace. Yes. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no rival. No equal. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is a kingdom. Yours is a glory.
Hallelujah. Let's fill this place with our praises. Lord, thank you. Lord, we magnify you. We lift you up. Higher than every power. Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Maxless. No rival, no equal. Lord, heal in this place. Restore in this place. Magnify your name. Glorify your name. Heal marriages, Lord. Touch sick bodies. Place your hand on those who are experiencing depression. Touch and heal in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the people of God. As we close our gathering, we have our prayer team to my right. And listen, if you came in here feeling weak, needing strength, we'd love to pray for you, whatever need you have. Maybe you came into church today and someone invited you and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, there's an open door before you. A door with possibility. A door of opportunity a door of rescue and healing and salvation. And if you want to walk through that door today, you can come forward for prayer. You can text the phrase, yes to Jesus, to that number on the screen, 718-424-0122. And one of our pastors would love to follow up with you and help you uh, take the next step in your spiritual journey. At the end of our service, we're going to have a sermon discussion time for those of you online who want to engage in conversation so feel free to take advantage of that but as we close let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing the hand of God is on your life you might look in the mirror and see weakness Like you have nothing to offer. God says, I'm going to make you into a pillar. And so with your hands in your heart in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus is coming soon. May you hold on to what you have. May you receive this truth that God will make you into a pillar. May you receive the grace and the love and the mercy of God and may you offer that to the world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful and the resurrected name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace.